that when we're singing that song, we're dancers who dance upon injustice. Do you know, I want sickness is injustice. Do you know why? Because the price has already been paid. It's injustice. Sometimes we think of injustice just as the social things, of poverty and, and things like that. No, no, sickness is injustice. Anything that's already had the price paid for it, people shouldn't still be paying the price. We need to dance on that. And we just did. And what you do in worship, you see, you are creating a healing environment even without thinking about it. Because we're dancing. And what you do, when you dance, you create an environment where justice, the justice and righteousness of God reigns. And in his, envi- in his environment, sickness goes. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. It's not just about doing social good works. This is about miracles. Why? Because that is justice. God wants to get us back to the original design. Anything that's deviated from God's original design is injustice. And Jesus has paid the price. Isn't that good? Because I think sometimes we can just think it's about the charitable stuff. It's not. No, no, no. It's, it's the fullness of the kingdom of heaven being released on planet Earth. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that guy, I bet he was happy he had a good night's sleep. So he said, what's it got to do with, you've got a lot to do with peace and joy. Well, and it's to do with righteousness. Righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is getting back everything that he paid for. And he paid for everything. He destroyed all the works of the evil one. There's not one sickness that's not paid for. There's not one sin in the world that's not paid for. Isn't that good? So if you're hanging on to any of yours, stop it. Seriously, that's stupid. You're hanging on to an injustice. Being paid for. Don't try and pay for it again. You can't. You've done it once all. It's finished. Listen to this testament. This is from a lady called Melanie. We've been chasing this testimony for quite a while, but we've actually got it now. This is from her. Okay, this is this is a doozy, isn't it? This is this is Karen Smolin now. This is her story. This is actually current. It's been about a year and a half since I came to the healing conference in Kent. I was invited by a lady from my church in Brighton. She thought it'd be a great idea to get to the conference and offered to arrange my transport. I sure was in need of for a healing. I don't remember, don't remember if you recall my case, but just eight months before coming to the healing conference, I found out that I had cancer again for the second time. God healed me back in 2005 from locally advanced breast cancer, and after nine years clear, I was told that the cancer had returned just under my collarbone. Words cannot describe how I felt about that news. I'd only been married seven months when the doctors told me that the cancer had returned, and worst of all, I was five months pregnant. How the devil tries to steal and destroy lives. That's injustice. As the story goes, I delivered a beautiful baby girl and days after started dreadful chemotherapy with a newborn baby. Not the expected joy of motherhood I had anticipated. I was exhausted and needed God to help me. After chemotherapy, I was rescanned a number of times and I got the disappointing news that the tumour was still there, bulky and dense, and it was a complicated case. As there was no one in Sussex that could perform an operation on the tumour, I was told that I was going to be referred to one of the London's best hospitals to see a top thoracic surgeon who may be able to help. I met with this guy who made no promises. He said it was a complete gamble, but he was willing to do the 12-hour surgery to remove part of my rib cage and build it back with titanium and steel mesh. 
the specialists all agree that it will be hugely disfiguring and require major plastic surgery. Nonetheless, I agreed, and everything was set in motion. My surgery was booked for the end of November 2013, and as God would have it, I attended the healing conference in October 2013. How wonderful it was to hear so many testimonies of God's love to heal the sick. I just wanted God to do the same for me. I remember someone sharing a healing story about someone whose cancer turned to jelly. I wanted that. On the last day of the conference, I came forth for prayer and met Ahab. Remember, remember Ahab? Some of you will. And he prayed for me. He, he's got a great laugh as Ahab. He laughs, he laughs at sickness. Literally. Why? Because you can. Because Jesus laughs at his enemies. So join in. It's not irreverent to laugh at sickness. It was a real short prayer, and I remember thinking, is that it? Because <laughs> often we think you need a really serious prayer for cancer, because that's a tricky one, isn't it? It needs a different sort of prayer. A few days after the conference, my oncologist booked me in for another MRI and CT scan. This was to make sure that the tumour by my collarbone and the chest area hadn't spread further to other parts of my body, like my brain or lungs. The scans could find no cancer at all. Now, amazing news. I understand this as a doctor, but my doctors all wanted to go ahead with the extensive surgery because they said they could still feel the tumour. So at the end of November 2013, I was admitted to St. Thomas's Hospital in London and some of the UK's finest all prepared for surgery. It was booked very early as they expected to operate for half of a day. But God thought differently. The surgery took about 40 minutes. They opened me up and they saw a tiny shell of the tumour floating in a jelly-like substance. <laughs> it had basically dissolved. Glory to God. When I was prayed for at the conference, I physically felt the tumour ripple. I felt as though it was physically being dissolved. I knew instantly that God had done something. Now listen to this. God heals, that is simply who he is. <laughs> he heals, it's simply who he is. <clears throat> so, so here's a question, how, how do you respond to that? Well, pretty good, excited, hopefully. I've I, I got the challenge of preaching from Luke chapter 6, um, and it does all come together eventually somehow. But, um, and um, So I'm going to read some of it out. It might go up there, it doesn't matter in one sense if it doesn't. But um, it's a fascinating passage of scripture, and actually Ali Goss is going to be picking up more on this in a couple of weeks' time when he preaches on, on the 19th here. Um, so, but it starts off, this is, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. What's Jesus doing at this moment in time? He's challenging religion. He's taking religion on face to face. Jesus opposed anybody who stopped others benefiting from the kingdom of heaven. He did. He accused Pharisees of being those who stood in the door and blocked it, basically. We should oppose those who stop others benefiting from the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. did so, and his hand was completely restored. I like to see that. But they, because that's the Pharisees, were furious and began to discuss with other, with one another what they might do to Jesus. And their conclusion was that they'd better kill him. <laughs> See, what, what, what I just want to bring out is, is, is so I said, you, this is a really genuine question. How do you respond to miracles? Now, I'm, I'm thinking we've all been rejoicing, but it's inside, are you, wow, I'm excited, I'm excited by that, because miracles can be offensive. Jesus wasn't frightened of being offensive. He, he, he realized what was going on with the Pharisees. And um, I want to tell you, in my, well, it's, it's Christian life, which is reasonably extensive now, for more than, more than 35 years, the greatest opposition that I've ever come across with regard to miracles has come from Christians. It's staggering, really. Most non-Christians seem to be quite happy about the idea. I have had friends who have been offended by miracles because actually that illness has existed in their family. And I have had friends of mine who've had relatives who have died of cancer and have, have themselves been personally offended by stories when I tell them stories. Because it, it, it raises it up. Well, what about my family? What, you know, there, are, there are questions. <coughs> but how, how we respond to, to the activity of God is, is an absolutely key issue in terms of breakthrough. Um, and I want to say this, that miracles are an unconditional act of love by God. They are unconditional and Jesus never actually uh, required a response from anybody. It's interesting, isn't it? So we, we must make sure that, that when we are performing miracles, and I say when, because they happen all the time around here, that they are unconditional. See, condition, but miracles are not a guarantee of salvation. They're not. Miracles are a signpost to the Saviour to the goodness and love of God. <laughs> but what, it, what is interesting, you see, I think God's activity is a challenge to religious structures. And um, I, um, 
I saw a quote from Bono this week. He said, I think, I think this is how it goes. He said, uh, religion is what is left when the Holy Spirit's left the building. Anybody else see that one? Think about it. Like that. Religion is what is left when the Holy Spirit's left the building. Pretty good quote. I think actually Bono's got quite a few good quotes going, actually. I thought, yeah. And um, I, was, I was preparing this mainly yesterday and then again this morning, and then this morning suddenly God hit me with a thought. So bear with me while I just open this thought out, and I will we'll go, go back to it. I thought that, see, the Pharisees, we know the Pharisees and, and, and the Sadducees, and they were the priests, weren't they? And it's easy for us to, to, to forget that the priesthood was always set up on the basis of the miraculous. Okay? <laughs> that the priesthood of God was always based on the miraculous intervention of God. How do I know that? Well, who, who was the first priest? Aaron. Okay? Who got to hold his staff and proclaim the plagues in, in Egypt? Aaron. Who got to whack the rock and the water came out? Sometimes we think it's Moses. This is Aaron. There are a lot of these things. And when it came round to a right, uh, God's, God's going to show who's really His representative in the nation. When there was a lot of grumbling going on in Numbers 17, um, you get the story um, of this. It says. Uh, Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and get twelve staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by Israelites. <laughs> God doesn't like grumbling. He doesn't. He's not keen on it. So Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders gave him twelve staffs, one for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. The next day, Moses entered the tent of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the house of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. All in a day. Does that not talk of fruitfulness? <laughs> then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each man took his own staff. The Lord said to Moses, put, Aaron, put back Aaron's staff in the front of the testimony to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. God's test of true priesthood is the miraculous. we're not meant to set up religious man-made structures, we're meant to just be highways for the power and goodness of God. Okay, so I'm going to crack on it. So just bear in mind that one. So, see, I believe, getting back to the original design, we are all meant to be miracle workers. Yeah? And in actual fact, you have been, even today. 
mistake, because we create an atmosphere within which somebody can come and sit in our cafe and get healed. You just participated. Why? Because it's not about any individual. We are now the priesthood of God together, aren't we? There isn't an individual. We are now the priesthood of God. And we welcome his presence into our atmosphere. And I just love it. Yes, I want people to come in. I want tumors to drop off their bodies as soon as they enter this room. I love this testimony from this young lady. 18 months on, isn't that a fantastic testimony of God redeeming her life? And I just, I, I'm not, we, it's only within this, Karen's been chasing this testimony for a while, haven't you, Karen? I thought, I just not, we've not heard that detail before of the tumor just encapsulated in a bit. Isn't it? Shriveled tumor. I thought, wow, look, God put something around it and just, it dies within the presence of God. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. Okay, going back to the Luke, Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> There's <clears throat> Jesus in verse 17. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So what did they come to be? So they come to hear and be healed. That's why just putting a sermon on is not enough. Those troubled, troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people and the people all tried to touch him. Now listen to this: the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Power was coming from him. Now that is an interesting statement. I don't know what it looked like or felt like, but, but what, what I know that, that you could get near Jesus and power was coming out of him. How much power did Jesus have? All power, all authority, never-ending source of power. Why? Because he's connected to his father. Power was coming out of him. One of the things, again, in this passage, and going further back, it says that in response, and I think there is, I think, I think there is a, an order to this passage. Okay. So going back to verse 12. So you've got the, the Pharisees being furious at him. Then the next verse says, One of those days Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Now, again, not got a whole length of time for this. I believe, as God was speaking to me about this this morning, that he was saying actually that this is the governmental structure that God was putting in place because actually he was restoring back to the original design of priesthood, what it's meant to look like, which is the miraculous and the power of God at work through every believer. And the apostles are the guys and girls, I want to say it is not unisex, <coughs> whom gift, whose gift it is and whose passion it is to see the presence and power of God released 
in an environment all the time. I believe that's what apostles do. <clears throat> so Jesus' response to a religious environment was to create an apostolic environment. Jesus is the original apostle, okay? And he reproduced himself from these twelve. And then it goes on to talk about and power's coming out of him. So where does Jesus' power now sit? Not a tricky one. Yep, somebody doing it. In us. How much power have you got? All of it. Wow. That's a lot, eh, Patrick? <laughs> and it's interesting, again, I haven't got time to go into all this, but just studying it, when Paul is challenged around his apostleship, he says, okay, I'll turn up, we'll see who's got power. In, in Corinthians, there, there, you know, there's people and they're, they're challenging his apostleship. He says, okay, well, I'll turn up and we'll see who's got power. We're meant to have power. Acts 1 verse 8 says this, well, this is promised. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And what will you become? Witnesses to the world, effectively. Without his power, I don't think we can be effective in the way we're meant to be. If all we've got are sermons to offer, I don't think the world's going to be impressed. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. That power, Ephesians chapter 1 says, that power, right, I'll go back, let me go back, I go back to Ephesians 1 verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. One of the things that you need to understand is when you minister to people in the power of God, you will feel it leave you. And it actually does blame you. Just happening over there right now. Shouldn't be worried about that. Power has outlets. It does. You're hearing it right now. This is electrical. Those are electrical. Electrical power comes in all sorts of different manifestations. What is really weird is not to expect a manifestation. Got no manifestations in church, there's something wrong going on. When you want to stop the manifestations, you're just turning the power off. You've been like the Pharisees. I will never apologize for the activity of the Holy Spirit. I will try and explain it as best I can, but I will never apologize when God does something. You say, well, what could it be? You know, could it be freshly? Well, it could be, but I'm not going to take the chance of missing what God's doing. Refuse fear. See, I knew God was going to move in power this morning. 
and he is right now. <laughs> Somebody's got a little bit ahead of the curve. <laughs> People should walk past you if you feel something. You're commuting on the train tomorrow. There should be a power environment around you. The uh, team were praying at the beginning of the meeting board before the beginning. They, you know, they get they get it set up, and they didn't know it was me. But I went and put, laid hands on them. But then they knew it was me. I know. I, I'm not saying this proudly arrogant. I know I have power in me. Why? Because he's put it there. It's a, it's stupid to deny it. We are meant to be the most powerful people on planet Earth. Demonstrating the goodness and love of God and thwarting all the works of evil. And how you respond to what it does is your key to how you progress. Because if you get offended, by the manifestations and the activities, and you're going to get into trouble. Ask good questions. <laughs> Just welcome him now, come on. Oh!